Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Uh, eager to hear the sermon. I like that. Uh, so what do you all want for Christmas uh, this year? See, this week our family finally uh, passed around our Christmas list, all those things that we hope to find under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Um, there's only 14 shopping days left, so we're running a little bit late this year. Uh, usually it's my mother who initiates this process, usually back around uh, Thanksgiving. And I don't know about your mothers, but with mine, it usually comes with an implied threat. I need a list. If you ask for nothing, that might be what you get this year. <laughs> nothing. Which, of course, never happened, but, but it also always worked. But my mom, she's in her 80s now. I think she's losing a step because this year it was her granddaughters, our daughters, who, who finally uh, got the ball rolling. And if we had time, it would be fun uh, to compare. How many, how, how many of you send Christmas lists around, by the way? Is this unique to my family? No, okay, okay, there's a, there's a few of us here. It would be fun to compare notes and see what's on your lists. I don't, I don't really know what uh, kids, especially boys, ask for. When it was me, when we were younger, it was footballs and skateboards and Legos. Uh, trains, well, that's, I think that's pretty timeless, trains, yeah. Uh, when our daughters were younger, it was, it was just like uh, Caroline, it was American Girl dolls. But it was also things like ponies and, uh, and tree houses with elevators, because every time... <laughs> Every time they would ask us for something that was kind of wild-eyed, we always had the same response, which was, why don't you put that on your Christmas list? Which eventually they realized just was another way of giving them a hard no. Um, and then as we get older, our lists evolve. And you know you've get, gotten older when, when you start asking for things like a blender and a new drill driver. Uh, one year, my wife and I actually gave each other an, an under-counter microwave. Uh, we didn't even bother wrapping it that year, but it was a Whirlpool slim profile space saver, so I have no regrets. <laughs> there are other things, of course, that we want, uh, but we don't put it on our list, right? I mean, we want laughter, we want good cheer, we want time with friends and good food. Uh, and for me, there's, there's a moment that I want every year, a moment that I wait for every year that comes late on Christmas Eve. Because, I mean, Advent's a busy season for all of us, but, but I work on Christmas Eve, right? So that day, there's all the gifts to make sure they're finally wrapped. Uh, there's dinner to cook uh, for supper. Uh, in our house, we don't decorate our Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. So there's that. And when that's all done, then I go to work. So late, though, late on Christmas Eve, after everyone's home, everyone's in bed, everything's done, the last stocking has been stuffed. There's a moment when, when my wife, Molly, and I finally sit down on the couch in our living room, and it's only the lights of the Christmas tree and a few candles burning on the hearth, and it's quiet, and it's still. And in that moment, a, a deep peace settles in. Uh, all is calm, and for that moment at least, all seems right. And I think the best name for that moment is joy. And for all the other things that I wish for, that's what I really want, is joy. Now, I want all those other things, too, of course. And so I hope I really do get micro spikes for Christmas. And I'll be glad if Bono's book, Surrender, shows up under the tree. 
Uh, we want all those other things. And of course, we want them not just at Christmas. We always want laughter and happiness and, and adventures and unhurried time and, and good health and good music and good food and good friends. Uh, and during the pandemic, we missed a lot of that, didn't we? I remember reading an article. It was, uh, it was, in, uh, it was in 2021, so in the midst of the pandemic, um, about, uh, about our experience of it. And the author, Adam Grant, wrote and noted that, that we're all isolated during the pandemic, right? We had to be for public health reasons. But we are inherently social beings. And so he pointed out uh, that the researchers have discovered that we laugh five times as often when we're with others as we do when we are alone. And so one of the conclusions he came to is that peak happiness lies mostly in a collective activity. And there's actually a name for that shared experience of happiness. Emil Durkheim, a 20th century sociologist, uh, named it collective effervescence. Collective effervescence. That's, why, that's what we experience when we go to concerts, right? That's why we go to concerts instead of just uh, listening only to music on Spotify. It's why we go to games. It's the difference between being at a game with others and watching it at home alone on the television. And if you're watching the World Cup, you could see it, that collective effervescence in the faces of South Korean fans, that game against Portugal that got a very late winner that put them through the group stage to the knockout. That's collective effervescence. And it's great when it happens, but life's not always that way. Because a couple days later, South Korea got knocked out, beat badly, beat like a drum by Brazil. And you can tell I wrote this sermon on Thursday, because that was before the games on <laughs> Friday and Saturday. Because Brazil against South Korea, they were dancing on the sidelines. And then they ran into Croatia, and they were distraught on the sidelines. So it's great when it happens, but life is not always that way. Life is not always merry and bright. Uh, Christmas is not always for everyone the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm pretty sure there's some people sitting here right now that are feeling a fair bit of stress or anxiety or disappointment or loss or grief or pain. And that's why I really want joy because I want to believe that there's something more than only my capacity or our capacity to create happiness. I want to believe there's something more than our capacity to experience collective Effervescence, something that can hold all of the rest of life to. And joy, at least in the way the scriptures describe it, joy seems to run deeper than all those other very good but sometimes very fleeting things. And of course, we hear joy in the readings uh, today on this, this third Sunday of Advent, this Gaudete Sunday. This Sunday, Gaudete, and I, I wrote this in the, the email that went out earlier this week. It's a Latin word, it means rejoice. And so this is a yearly invitation to reflect on joy as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ. We heard, in our, we heard it in our first reading from Isaiah. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus that shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And the second reading actually that we sung today from Luke, Mary's Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But the thing is, it's also clear in these readings that joy is something more than just happiness or good cheer because Isaiah sees it in the wilderness. It's in the dry places that he sees life well enough. It's in the hard places that he sees beauty bursting out. He sees weak hands being strengthened and trembling legs being made firm. And he sees people on the way, the holy way, the way that leads to everlasting joy. 
Isaiah sees it out in the wilderness. Mary, Mary feels it in her womb. I'm sure, I mean, they don't include this in the gospel, but I'm pretty sure she experienced all the morning sickness, all the cravings, all the cramps that come with pregnancy. In the lead-up to the reading this morning, she's been traveling alone to see her cousin Elizabeth. Um, I'm sure it's been difficult for her trying to explain who the father of this child is. But when she gets to Elizabeth, rather than talk about mood swings or swelling feet, she breaks into a song of joy. Before the child's been born, before the promise has been filled, before the angels and the shepherds and the magi all start to crowd in, six months along, with only Elizabeth listening in, Mary sings. And not just my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, but she sings of God scattering the proud and bringing down the powerful. She sings of God lifting up the lowly, of God filling the hungry with good things. Mary somehow has enough faith to know that she is carrying the gift of joy in her body. She knows that in the child, this Christ child she's carrying, God somehow will make the world what God always meant it to be. She knows that this Christ child she's carrying will redeem and heal and guide us in the holy way, the way that leads to everlasting joy. Mary bears this gift of joy, and it is a gift. Joy is not so much something we can go and get, but something that's given. Joy comes of trusting that God is present in our lives, like Mary, present in the deepest places of our hearts and our minds and our souls. And it comes of trusting that God is present in the life of the world, present in the dry places and the hard places, the damaged places, the unjust places, present with grace and healing and mercy and justice and hope. And peace. Now, as I've been thinking about joy this week, I've, I found it hard to define. I think it's really uh, something that you know more when you feel it uh, than anything else. And I hope you felt joy, and I hope you feel it often. For me, in times like that, it's often helpful to look to wise teachers. And Henry Nouwen is one of those wise teachers for me. So here's what Nouwen writes about joy. He writes, Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, even death, can take that love away. Joy comes of trusting that we are loved and trusting in the power of God's love to bring healing and hope and wholeness to us and to all of creation. It's, it's like a deeper current that runs through us and through creation. So that whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's going on in the world, it comes of trusting that we are being carried along by God's love. And that means, and it means as Caroline said earlier, that joy can, can hold and coexist with sorrow and pain and stress and anxiety. And that's important. Because it means that we don't have to pretend. It means we don't have to put on a happy face or fake a smile at a Christmas party. It's important because it means we can hold on to hope when there's so much wrong and we can't figure out what to do to make it right. Um, there's, a, there's a play that T.S. Eliot wrote. It's titled um, Murder in the Cathedral. And um, it's actually based on a true story of Thomas Beckett, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury. He was assassinated in the year 1170. Uh, Thomas had been in exile for seven years. He returns to the cathedral 
where he's warned that the king, that he will be kill, killed by the king's men. But on Christmas morning, he preaches a sermon. He preaches a short sermon because, in fact, the knights sent by the king are on the way. In the sermon, he asks the congregation to ponder the mystery of faith, to ponder the mystery that they are there that morning in the cathedral celebrating the unbridled joy of the birth of Jesus. And that same morning, that same cathedral, they are also going to share the Christmas Mass. They're going to share communion in which they remember the death of Jesus. And he preaches in his sermon, for who in the world will both mourn and rejoice at once and for the same reason? For either joy will be overborne by mourning or mourning will be cast out by joy. So it is only in these are Christian mysteries that we can rejoice and mourn at once for the same reason. We can rejoice and mourn at once for the same reason because that deep current of God's love runs through Jesus. Jesus who was born to us, the word made flesh full of grace and truth, and Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's the gift of joy that Isaiah could foresee. That's the gift of joy that Mary carried in her body. And it's the gift of joy that comes to us still. And so we're invited to connect our lives to this current of God's love that we hope, that we trust, will carry us toward healing and peace and wholeness. Like Mary, we're invited to open the deepest places of our lives, especially when we're living with sadness or uncertainty or pain or loss. That's why we have a longest night service uh, on the winter solstice on December 21st. In a holiday season, uh, when it can sometimes seem that everyone else is having a, happy, uh, having a holly jolly Christmas, um, we need space to be honest and to be vulnerable because that's the only way we can be open and receptive. And we need space uh, to be together because we are inherently social beings. So I hope you can join us on the 21st. We're probably not going to have uh, an experience of collective effervescence uh, but we can hold space for each other. We can hold space for each other when joy feels a long ways off. And if joy feels a long ways off for you right now, I, I hope you can at least remember even a moment of joy from the past. Because C.S. Lewis, um, in his book Surprised by Joy, uh, writes that all joy reminds it's never a possession. It's always a desire for something longer ago or farther away or still about to be. All joy reminds. Joy reminds us of the ways things are meant to be. It reminds us of the love of God that's at the center of creation. It reminds us of the spirit at work in and through and around us, mending and healing and making the world whole. So I hope that you can somewhere in the past remember joy and trust with the psalmist. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We're invited to connect our lives to the current of God's love, and we're also invited to connect our lives to the work of God's love in the world. We're invited to be carriers of joy, just like Mary. One of the other wise teachers for me is, is uh, Ron Rollheiser. He's a priest and a theologian. And he wrote this about joy. Uh, this is the great paradox at the center of all spirituality, one of the great foundational truths within the universe itself. The air that we breathe out 
is the air that we will eventually breathe back in. Joy will come to us if we set about actively trying to create it for others. If we set about actively carrying joy for others. And he, he draws on the prayer of St. Francis, which many of us are familiar with. That prayer teaches us that we can't attain joy or consolation or peace or forgiveness or love or understanding by pursuing them. It's only by giving them out. The air that we breathe out is the air that we will eventually breathe back in. And so we're invited to be carriers of joy. And whether that's giving through the Advent tree in the back or mainspring or uh, giving through our Christmas Eve offering or working at Night Strike or volunteering with Family Promise or supporting the work of SCI or the work of NEA or the work of Loom, in whatever way you can, connect your life to the work of God's love in the world. Be a carrier of joy. I hope that's what we all get this Christmas. The gift of joy born to us in Christ. May it be so. And now, let us sing a song of joy. Uh, good Christian friends rejoice. It's in our worship book, Voices Together. It's number 261. We come, Jenny. <laughs> 